a random encounter at a broadcasting facility. A shared interest and love of all things Marvel. Excelsior! A misinterpreted program title. And behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick. Podcaster and comic book enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson! Upstate New York radio announcer, still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter! What are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. So, Peter, what's on the agenda today? We're going to be looking at a slice of Marvel cheese from the late 90s. Wait, 90s Marvel? The era where they did next to nothing aside from animated series, low-budget theatrical films, and really lousy TV movies? Why wasn't I warned about this? Because you've been spending the last few months at conventions doing your Captain America cosplay, and it's not my fault those cons are held at places with little to no phone reception. Ah, that explains why I'm getting this flurry of messages all of a sudden from August? I gotta get a better phone. But that's besides the point. What are we reviewing? The Nick Fury TV movie with David Hasselhoff. Wait a minute. Not that! Look, it's cheesy filler until something more relevant in the Marvel world pops up. Think of it as an exhibition ball game. But don't you know what this means? It means we're about to get a visit from... Oh, crap. This guy! Oh, yeah! Oh, boy, do I miss being on the surface. (laughs) Ha-ha! Hello, gentlemen. How are ya? Disregarding the hole you just made, I've been better. Nice wheels. How'd you get them? Oh, you know, a couple Patreon patrons here, some mail-order food commercials there, and... Oh, also, I uh, sold your mint-conditioned copy of Fantastic Four Number 1. It fetched about 300 grand at auction, and I used it to buy what I generously call the Mighty Mole Subterranean Drilling Vehicle. Even comes with satellite radio. I bought that issue for a dollar, you mother... Not worth it, Eddie. Remember what he said he would do to us if we didn't do what he said last time? He'd put us in a wing of hell with nitpicking comic book fans who point out plot holes from now until the end of time. And I can still do that. Spider-Man could have saved Gwen Stacy without the use of dramatic licensing. All he had to do was make a trampoline out of his webbing at the bottom of the Brooklyn Bridge. She would have bounced up. He would have caught her and... Regardless, it's bad enough that you stole my comic books. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold your roll there, Captain. There's a big difference between my stealing them and you simply forgetting to take them back with you after I blew you out of here with a fireball. Second, it's even worse that you sold one of my comic books to pay for your transportation up here and drill a hole into the floor. Well, I had to get up here somehow. I don't earn my teleportation privileges until I get promoted to the gluttony floor, whenever that is. And third, how the hell are you even able to be here anyway? Aren't damn souls in hell forbidden to interact with the human world? Well, technically yes, but according to the (laughs) Handbook of the Damned. Just as poor souls pray to the guy upstairs, the same thing can be done downstairs. We don't show up unless somebody calls for us to assist them in a wicked deed, and we only go away once the deed is done. Kind of like Mr. Meeseeks on Rick and Morty. Isn't that right, Peter? 
What are you looking at me for? Because you're the one that made the call for me to come up here in the first place. Is this why I'm getting charged roaming fees from trillions of miles away? Wait, both of you share a cell phone plan? I thought the two of you sharing an insurance bill on collectibles was weird. Never mind that. Peter, why would you call on the Underworld just to review a bad Marvel TV movie? Same reason why everyone else does. I wanted to make a deal. You didn't! No, I didn't sell my soul. I think that's out of his price range anyway. It's true. I don't get soul-reaping privileges until I get promoted to the Wrath Circle, and that could take another few millennia. So then, what's the deal? I'm here to help both of you get through what I can generously call a superhero movie. In exchange, all I want is to let people know that we exist. Basically do a couple promos for Telehell, available wherever you stream podcasts. And we're square. How many promos? Well, we just did one, and the rest of them will be scattered throughout this episode. You'll know when I'm done counting. And what about the rest of my comic books? <sighs> Obviously, you're not going to let this go, will ya? I'll go get your precious comics. This bungee cord is about several trillion miles long, so it'll take me a few minutes to reach the underworld and bounce back. But while I'm free-falling, why don't you two go into depth about your subject for today? And by the time I snap back up, everybody, I'm sure, will be brought up to speed. Excuse me. How did you get the phone number to the Underworld, anyway? He left one of his business cards here when he did the Wonder Woman 74 TV movie review with us. Ask a stupid question. Okay then, while he's free-falling, let's talk about Nick Fury. Originally created in 1963 by Stan Lee and the King, Jack Kirby, Nicholas Joseph Fury made his first appearance in the May 1963 comic series Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, a story that highlighted the character's stint in World War II and wherever else battle takes him. That series lasted for 167 issues from 1963 to 1974, with various issues being reprinted up to 1981. But it was in Strange Tales number 135 when the Fury character soon adopted a more spy-like persona when the character was reintroduced as Colonel Fury, an agent of the fictitious counterterrorism agency known as S.H.I.E.L.D. In a 2005 interview, Stan Lee recalled of the character's persona change, quote, Here was a very popular television show called The Man from Uncle, sort of a James Bond type of thing, and I thought, just for fun, I'm going to bring Sergeant Fury back again. But it's now years later, and I'm going to make him a colonel, and I'm going to make him the head of an outfit like Uncle a secret military outfit. So I had to think of a name, and I love names. So I came up with the name S.H.I.E.L.D., end quote. Over the course of the next few decades, the Fury character would see itself through a number of variations, scenarios, and other situations that are probably worthy of the What If show on Disney+. Some of Fury's more famous adventures include the Secret Invasion storyline, where he faces off against imposters from Skrull. Dark Reign, where Fury finds out that S.H.I.E.L.D. is being controlled by its rival agency, Hydra. And Heroic Age, where Fury tries to create some new Avengers thanks to combining Captain America's Super Serum and an experimental Infinity Formula. All of these adventures lead up to the Battle Scars series. And if you're wondering where Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury fits into all of this, that's who we meet in Battle Scars. Sergeant Marcus Johnson, who later takes on the name of Nick Fury Jr., after the original Fury retires at the end of the series. Oh. Ooh. 
Good thing I'm already dead. The whiplash would have killed me all over again. Now I know how Gwen Stacy felt. Okay, here they are. All accounted for. Let me see. That's all of them. Almost. I'm honestly surprised they're still in good condition. Hell must have better air conditioning than I thought. Well, when the only thing I have in hell is bad TV to watch and other torture-related activities, I kind of wanted to hang on to something to keep me from going completely insane down there, but, uh, don't tell my boss. Technically, unless it's something reviewed by Linkara or I can make a quick buck off of it, most other comic books are contraband down there. Speaking of which, what exactly do you plan to do to make up for selling that Fantastic Four issue? We'll get to that in due time. How far did you get on your Nick Fury intro? We just covered the basics. His origins, his story arc, and we stopped as soon as we got to Samuel L. Jackson because he's not the same Nick Fury we're about to talk about. Oh, good. Now it's my turn. By the mid-1990s, comic book-related entertainment was being seen as sort of a misfit among media. Sure, there were still some bits and pieces of popularity, but that was largely among animated TV shows, like, say, Batman and Superman on the WB. The live-action world, however, was kind of in the midst of a dark age, one that arguably started with the release of the hydrogen bomb that kept comic book movies off the radar for years, Batman and Robin. What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age! Of course, that was just in the movie theaters. Primetime TV did try to pick up the slack, but considering the fractions of budgets that they would have compared to the big screen, the best that the networks could muster in the mid-90s <laughs> was Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. And just so we're clear here, we're not knocking the show by any means in spite of rampant use of Dean Cain. It's just that it was the only live-action primetime superhero TV show of note back then. With the vacuum wide open for superheroes on TV, there had to be somebody out there to carry the mantle. Enter writer-producer David Goyer, who up to this point in his career had penned the screenplays for a combination of B-movies, minor hits, and cult classics, including Death Warrant with Jean-Claude Van Damme, several movies for Charles Band's Full Moon Productions, and The Crow, City of Angels. But Goyer still needed that one movie to help put him on the map though not half as much as a certain TV network needed hit shows in the 90s. You can't think of strange TV misfires without thinking of the Fox network, especially when it was still in its painful adolescent years. Sure, by 1997 they had The Simpsons, Melrose Place, and various major league sports propping them up. That same year, Fox was hoping to find a non-sports, non-Simpsons show that would get them past the kids' table and be more on par with the other networks. Through a complicated series of acquisitions in the 90s, Fox became the owner of New World Communications, who, at the time, also claimed ownership to a sizable chunk of Marvel-related media. Put two and two together, and suddenly, Fox commissioned New World to come up with a TV movie pilot involving a Marvel property that they happened to own. And while there were a number of characters to choose from, the decision to go with Nick Fury remains a mystery. Still, though, Goyer wrote the script, and Fox's TV movie people were on the job. Now all they needed was a major name to play the title role, and for a 1990s TV movie budget of approximately $96.78, there was really only one name that the networks could afford to use.
In retrospect, it stood to reason that David Hasselhoff was cast in the title role, especially considering he was already the star of what was then the most watched TV show in the world. Then again, were people really watching Baywatch just for him, the engaging storylines, or simply for the swimsuits? Regardless, that's who they cast, and now we're stuck with him, along with a bunch of other character actors who thought this would become their springboard to success. But we'll be the judge of that. May 26th, 1998. Whoa, who said you could bring your flair here? It's bad enough you drilled a hole in the floor. Don't make me condemn you with the nitpickers. Black Widow could have survived that fall off the cliff in Avengers Endgame if Spider-Man was around to do the same thing he could have done for Gwen. Point taken. Now then, May 26th, 1998. Bill Clinton was experiencing both the best and worst of times thanks to a good economy and a healthy sex life. The Supreme Court ruled that Ellis Island was actually property of the state of New Jersey instead of New York. And at 8 p.m., 7 p.m. Central, we zoom ourselves over non-specific waters to a non-specificer island that's home to Trinity Base, a secret lab where secret secrets are being engineered in their cryogenics division, one of which is the frozen body of one Baron Wolfgang von Strucker, one of the members of Hydra. After a series of dialogue-free exposition that goes nowhere, we get a visit from a few soldiers of Hydra trying to retrieve the frozen corpsicle. Let us rock! Isn't that sweet? His last words, Nick. Okay, boys, since this is your show, I want you to enlighten me. Number one, who is Baron Wolfgang von Strucker, aside from a Hydra member? Number two, is this based on any actual story in any of Nick Fury's storylines? And three, who's the lady that blew away the guard? In that particular order, Baron Von Strucker isn't just a member of HYDRA. He's also one of its leaders with just as complicated a backstory as Nick Fury. The short version? Growing up during World Wars 1 and 2, the Baron rose above the ranks to, essentially, become one of Hitler's buddies and fought alongside him during the war. Unfortunately, he couldn't count on Nick Fury's howling commandos to be a constant thorn in their side. Suffice to say, Fury defeated him almost every time. After the war, the Baron then became a right-hand man to Red Skull, who, through HYDRA, continued to attempt to take over the world, and also try to replicate various versions of the super serum that gave Captain America his powers. To answer your second question, this story, give or take a couple of creative liberties, parallels the story told starting in Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., Volume 2, Issue 21. By this point, the Baron had faked his death a number of times, only to come back when he prepared to unleash the Death Spore bomb from Hydra Island. Invading the island, Nick Fury used masks to trick Strucker's men into shooting their leader. In a panic, Strucker ran into a chamber where nuclear processes were taking place and was immediately incinerated. Soon afterwards, Fury set the Death Spore bomb to explode within Hydra Island's protective dome designed to keep the island safe from the spores, eradicating all Hydra personnel within. Later on, Red Skull championed an effort to bring the Baron back, providing a distraction to occupy Fury's newly rebuilt shield, while Hydra scientists found Strucker's body 
body and sacrificed their lives to revive him with the death spore bonded to his form. And to answer your third question, we soon find out that the blonde lady is none other than the Baron's daughter, Andrea, aka Viper. And she too has a long, complicated history, none of which we will find too much about in this movie, I'm sure. But the fact that she's carrying on her father's name and reputation pretty much says it all. Eh, works for me. We then head off to another, remoter part of the world, where we find our hero enjoying a peaceful... retirement? Wait a minute, I, th I thought he retired much later so that Samuel L. Jackson could take over. Honestly, when it came to Nick Fury in the 1990s, it was very much like a... Like, to, you know, to, to steal a phrase from the boys from Cartoon Escape Fabe, it's a jobber comic. Like, it's just nothing. And it's like... It was literally there probably... Hey, Steve over here needs uh, some work uh, making Nick Fury comics so he can, you know, buy food. Enjoy your food. Here's a comic. It's, it's like basically that. Like, there was a lot of stuff. Like, if it wasn't Spider-Man, if it wasn't X-Men, what else? It, Avengers, maybe, but Avengers were kind of like nothing comics back then as well, too. Like, just very, you know, very mid, if anything. This is exactly the time period where I was missing yeah. from comics. But if it was like I, I said, got out in '93, I got back in 2000 something. Punisher maybe, but it's like the the quote unquote Trinity was uh, Spider Man, the X Men, and maybe Punisher. That's really about it. And like otherwise, you know, if if it wasn't a mutant, no one cared. If it wasn't a, a web snapping walloper, no one cared. You know, like you look at like the street level characters, like Daredevil's just sitting there, you know with the lights off because he, you know, saves electric bills. <laughs> but, <laughs> he does. And were we about to start the Transformers now at this time? No, Transformers is 84, and it's ending around like 94, 95 in comics. Oh, okay. So, this is like a time when also Marvel is like heavily getting, hey, we're gonna license out this, we're gonna license out that. It's a weird time to realize they had the Power Rangers at one time, they had Ren and Stimpy, they had Mighty Mouse, like they had before everything ever happened, they had Disney comics. So it's Barbie. Like, there was Barbie in the early '90s. What else is there? It's just, it's just it's a wild hodgepodge, and they're also just trying to throw whatever at the wall they can to see what sticks. Just like that this time with the movies. Hey, let's see. Uh, we don't have the rights to so and so because this is also a time of, you know, something true believers. I'm gonna just ruin everything with our licensing and movie deals. I'm just gonna go to every single studio. Hey, you like Ant Man? He gets really tiny. Hey, you like the X Men? Oh, sorry, I just talked to Bob about that. He has that. He got it for. $1.50. But, you know, I can sell you slapstick. Yes, I can sell you slapstick. He's uh, some, uh, he's this weird little fella from the early 90s. Oh, in the same decade we're in, yes. That's really about what slapstick, Stan is doing. oh man. Mm -hmm. It's, or Street Poet Ray. We can throw that one out just randomly. Just all, or brute force. There's a bear and a dolphin and a kangaroo. Yes, true believers, you will believe a kanga can roo. Also, they're robots for some reason. I, you know, I was just like, kids love robots. That Todd guy says kids love chain. No, they love robots. Look, you know, look, look at those ninja turtles. They have that gigantic, ro oh, oh, wait, that's the Power Rangers? Oh. Well, it is a Fox movie. I wouldn't expect continuity to be high on their list of priorities. But regardless, S.H.I.E.L.D. tries to convince the former Michael Knight to give them a hand one more time. I'm pleased to inform you that your intelligent priority code has been reactivated. They've asked you to resume your post with S.H.I.E.L.D.'s public director, effective immediately. 
Unfortunately, Pierce, you're going to have to tell S.H.I.E.L.D. to shovel it up their collective end zones. They put me out the pasture five years ago. But didn't they brief you on that particular piece of intel? Sir, sir, these orders come from the President himself. President? Yes, sir. Answers the same. Now, why don't you take your blow dryer and get the hell out of my afternoon sun? And just as he says no, somebody else tries to convince him to take the job. It's been a long time, Nick. You don't look any worse for wear. We need you back. Maybe I've gotten used to the wilderness. And maybe you're full of it. Hydra's back in the game, Nick. Oh, that's impossible! Von Strucker's dead. I killed him myself. Yesterday, Hydra stormed Trinity Base. They stole Von Strucker's body, and they killed Clay in the process. This is the Countess Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, a.k.a. Val. She's played by former soap star, longtime real housewife, better half to Harry Hamlin, and continuing cautionary tale against meaningless plastic surgery, Lisa Rinna, who, even though she looks human in this movie and still has a viable career in this day and age, I will refer to her for the rest of this review as Corporal Collagen. Damn. I'm sorry about Clay, Nick, but it looks like Hydra's trying to send you a message. Looks like I heard it. Okay, so before we go any further, I believe the Countess plays a pivotal part in Nick Fury's life, does she not? Oh, 100%. You know, especially during the uh, 1960s, 1970s Jim Steranko run, like, that's his love interest. And there's even, you know, a moment in Marvel history that they edited out. They had, like, in uh, future versions, you might have, Eddie, the uh, Nick Fury special editions from the early 1980s where they were reprinting the Steranko stuff. True, I just might at that too. And I'm thinking to her, I'm just trying to picture her then and again the Steranko drawing. Blackish blue hair. Yeah, but the way she was drawn, I thought Jessica Rabbit, I think Val came first. But with this character, in those special edition Nick Furies, by the way, there's a panel or two, very sexual, and they actually had to remove it due to the comics code back in the day. And then in a few, like the reprintings, and it depends where which version you'll see it in. They will include it sometimes nowadays, sometimes not. And it's just very, very surprising that, you know, that they could get away with it or couldn't get away with it at the time. Or but. trying to increase readership. Hot, sultry, steamy, buy this. But the kids. Think about the kids. Uh-huh. That's what it leads to. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta start but somewhere. It's just, I don't, the whole thing of seeing this character, she is very much an interesting character that is a big part of the Nick Fury mythos and I love the fact that again it's one of those things for this movie where let's try and reference as many characters as humanly possible from the comic books but also in a way they do pay they do kind of do them justice in a roundabout way not by much because again this, this movie was pretty terrible but I love that there is that attention to it. Although, David Goyer, who I am not a fan of whatsoever, that guy uh, is a trash person who once said, uh, She-Hulk should get it on with the Hulk. Now, if you're a comic book reader, you will be repulsed because that's her cousin. Yeah. Also, he said uh, comments about the character Martian Manhunter. That's a, like, he just went on, like, this super sexualized, super dirty conversation about it. And it's just like... Wow, dude, time and place for everything. Or just, you know, oh, I don't know. Don't air that out publicly because kind of a jackass. But I digress. Uh, yeah, I just, I'm just not a fan of Goyer, so he's 
it's funny that this is actually something that's very much accurate to the source material in a roundabout way, and seeing Goyer's name attached is like, now is it Boyer? That we're actually talking about David Boyer, you know, maybe maybe he wrote it and they just did a typo on you know every single thing with the production of this. That's understandable, you know, forty-five typos over and over and over. Just hey, what are you gonna do? But it is uh, just nice to see this character of the Countess incorporated and you know just well yeah they do have to represent her i think in some way it's just the way they go about doing it which might be you know yeah, it's a your question. mileage may vary kind of thing like hey it's a little yeah. bit different than it might be right. they have to they have to do creative liberties of changing stuff up but well by no means is she uh, ignorant or dumb you have to be careful with her she might look all you know very attractive to the to the eye. I feel like uh, you're doing you a spoken word version of like a James Bond uh, theme song of could be she's don't call her dumb. <laughs> yeah, there's a song that might want to go in there but we, you know, very much digress. <clears throat> but she's somebody that I don't know if you would be attracted to in a it's a forbidden thing to to want to say, "Hey, I'd like to get to know her better." Mm. But and then just don't turn your back on her. Or she'll stab you. Whichever her option is. And so, just like Michael Corleone, Fury is pulled back in to his work at S.H.I.E.L.D. And as they arrive at the agency's headquarters in the sky, Fury is brought up to speed on what's going on, including some new security measures that have been added since the last time he worked there. Why aren't we moving? Unregistered passenger. Searching personnel databank. Computer index match to Fury Nicholas Joseph. System error. Please expose both eyes to full room scan. Update your files, moron. I only got one. Unregistered individual. Uh, um, Proceed to the nearest fire. Uh, override. Do not. Override. Do not use this elevator. Uh, uh, master code. Uh, alert. Zero zero nine four. Yes. Do not. Repeat. Do not use this elevator. Must have been stuck. That was pointless. After that bit of nothing, Fury's former colleague, Dum Dum Dugan, which, contrary to our beliefs, is not the name of a B-list wrestler who used to work for the late Jim Crockett, introduces him to his new colleagues, starting with the Marvel equivalent of Counselor Troy from Star Trek. You're thinking of Clay Quartermain. You were wishing you had a chance to say goodbye. Case in charge of our new parapsych division. What are you, a mind reader? We prefer the Jeremy S. Pierce. I have my natural ability augmented with implants. This is then followed by the guy who's supposedly in charge. Now you watch your step, Fury. I had your pink slip before and I can do it again. The world's changed since you ran off to the wilds. Your particular brand of vigilanteism isn't going to cut it anymore. With all due respect, Director, if the world had changed, you wouldn't need people like me now, would you? Which is then followed by S.H.I.E.L.D.'s resident scientist, Gabriel Jones. Prodigal son returns, Gabe. How's my favorite mad science? Enduring, Nicholas. Enduring. Oh, and uh, also to show off this freak of nature. What is that? That's our prototype LMD. Life model decoy. The cerebral matrix has been programmed with your memory engrams and reflex tapes. In other words, it not only talks like you, it moves like you. I don't know whether to congratulate you or drive a stake through its heart. I don't know whether to congratulate you or drive a stake. Turn it off, Gabe. Come on to Dugan. And now that we have a healthy amount of exposition, tell me a little bit more about who these people are and why I should care. Well, Dum Dum Dugan 
is one of Nick Fury's army buddies, right, Eddie? And, and then, not only commandos, yeah. Yeah, and then eventually he goes on to become one of his right-hand men, right-hand men uh, in S.H.I.E.L.D., and it's like... He's he's got the bowler hat. Even you know, decades on, keeps changing. But he's got that and the big handlebar mustache. Yep. And then you see this guy, and it's just like, what? Like that's a part of the character. Is it like Goyer being like, ah, it's gonna look too much like a comic book. Look at the goofy. Look at the mustache. What is he in Williamsburg or something? Like I, I just I'm not a fan of. Uh, it's it's so stupid that a mustache gets me all worked up about this, but it's like, man, you're really gonna do a disservice to that character by not doing that. Why? Because it's unbelievable to you or something? No, to have to, to want to be accurate by having these character names, and I'm like, no, this is a Howling Commando. What? But he this did need to turn over this much. To like him? again, he did, you know, go off to be a Shield guy, but it's also like just that look of him is like, was he? He didn't look like Dum Dum. No. No, no, dum-dum. Not, not at all. Dum-dum and gum-gum. Dum-dum would have a little bit further life in the comics. Oh, yeah. And I remember him being... And maybe I knew him in a different role, different character, or that name came up. I knew dum-dum in another life. <laughs> well, not with uh, the Howling Commandos, but in the Godzilla comic book. Yeah, he was a big part of that, I remember seeing. Absolutely. And also, Jimmy... Um, Jimmy Smith. The other kid... No, no. <laughs> the the uh, enforcement official who was after Ant-Man. Oh, uh, Jimmy Woo. Woo, thank you. Well, you, you got it. You, you sat on attack just now or something? I, did, I, I missed the woo. See, that's what. Well, it's not a Ric Flair woo, so be thankful for that. <laughs> but then you have characters like Kate Neville, Gabriel Jones, Alexander Pierce, who I thought was the guy that, you know, Chevy Chase played on Community, but no. Just like all these random characters. Like, I don't know these characters. Eddie, like. I, I think Alexander Pierce, I remember being in the MCU or something. That name sounds familiar. I thought it was Robert Redford's character in Winter Soldier. He had nice hair. Yeah. Alexander G. Pierce, I think it was. What's the G stand for? G-E-E. <laughs> Jehoshaphat. I don't know. It's like Homer J. Simpson. J-A-Y. <laughs> That's the character I remember Alexander Pierce being, uh, the Robert Redford character in Captain America and Winter Soldier. And Gabriel Jones, yes. The scientist. Okay. You got the ethnicity right here, at least. But he was also a Howling Commando. And I think I remember at least one comic book cover of the Howling Commandos where it's Gabriel, come blow your horn as he's bursting through the cover with his uh, trumpet. So there was no trumpet, no horniness, nothing at all. Well, not like that. Mm. But it's, again, obviously, you know, now that these characters are a part of S.H.I.E.L.D., they're doing their own thing, they're running around doing some stuff. And every time I hear someone use the expression running around, I just imagine them running around in little circles in between doing their things, just literally going running around. All the time, every time you think of saying running around, I'm going to think of that too. Yeah, right? It's great. It's great. (laughs) It's like flapping their arms. It's good exercise. But just imagine that in S.H.I.E.L.D. and like somebody's trying to carry a beaker, you know, or something. Because they have like maybe tests or something. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. But all I know is... You like stories. I sure do. But also just the fact that these characters, they're literally just ancillary characters. They're for the background. And it's like, cool. We gave somebody uh, a gig today so they could have food themselves tonight so they could be able to not be a starving actor. There's another character in the Howling Commandos. I'm not thinking of uh, the name, but I remember I think he was French. Oh. Uh-huh. Oui. 
So, after that exposition dump, we then learn that Baron von Strucker's daughter and son are looking to pick up where their father left off by implementing something called the Death's Head Virus, not to be confused with the Death Spore Virus from the actual comics. This is then followed by another exposition dump further explaining things over at Hydra. Fräulein von Strucker, are you aware of the time difference? I was asleep. There had better be good reason for this. In a few moments, you can decide for yourself if the reason is good enough. Look at you. My father's trusted lieutenant. I am disgusted. How dare you? Silence! I see the remnants of what was once the world's greatest terrorist organization. Squabbling like animals for table scraps. For too long, Hydra has been splintered and weak, divided by our enemies and reduced to warring factions. Tonight, that changes. Hydra will be in possession of the most dangerous weapon ever created. The dream of a new order my father envisioned is within our grasp. And with that much inscrutability in mind, that gives us no choice but to play everybody's favorite new game. Name that accent. All right, contestants, you know how the game is played. We're going to play part of that scene over again, and you must tell us what kind of accent that's supposed to be. Ready? Ready. Okay. Name that accent. I see the remnants of what was once the world's greatest terrorist organization. Peter? I want to say it's some kind of German, thanks to Hydra's Nazi affiliation, but that may be a little too obvious. I'll say Eastern Estonian with a side of lobotomy patience. <laughs> no, try again. Hydra has been splintered and weak, divided by our enemies and reduced to warring factions. Eddie? The insanity in her voice is causing the accent to swing wildly. I'm going to say a combination of French, Esperanto, and someone who accidentally ate tainted mayonnaise. <laughs> Wrong again. I'll give you two one more chance. The dream of a new order my father envisioned is within our grasp. Peter again. A younger version of that lady from the MST3K movie, Werewolf. Werewolf? No, Werewolf. This is absolutely fascinating. Sorry, folks. The correct answer was inscrutable, out-of-breath James Bond villain of indeterminate origin inscrutable, out-of-breath James Bond villain of indeterminate origin. But nobody goes home empty on this show. As a consolation prize, the two of you get to continue watching this crap. Shit. Same difference. Moving on. Lady Hydra tries to show Hydra's global leaders that she's as much a threat as her old man was. Then let this moment be a call to arms for each and every one of you. We are the soldiers of Araki, and it is time that the world feared us once again. Have you chosen a target yet for our first strike? Yes. It's a small island off the coast of New York. What island? Manhattan. A terrorist attack on Lower Manhattan in the 1990s. Uh, 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 this would 
be a good chance to remind everybody to listen to Telehell wherever podcasts can be streamed and at our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash telehellpodcast. Meanwhile, Fury and Corporal Collagen head out to a meeting in Berlin with a potential Hydra informant. And how fitting that they go to Berlin, because... Germans love David Hasselhoff. (laughs) But not without casually glossing over the past first. You know, I never liked this city. Why? We had some good times here. We? I mean, you had some good times here. You and Clay. You two were impossible to work with. I felt like a complete outsider until... But before we get to any character development, we get to meet our informant. How do we know it's her? By using code words, of course. I died for beauty, but was scarce adjusted in the tomb. When one who died for truth was lain to rest in the adjoining room. Inspector Gale Runciter, Berlin Interpol. Is something wrong? Beauty is truth, and truth is beauty. I saw ye on this earth know, and all ye need to know. Is that part of the recognition code? No. I just felt like saying it. Who's your friend here? A Hydra agent and not one of your admirers. The trio evade Hydra agents by going into a nearby subway. Seatbelts fastened. Tray tables in an upright position. Here we go! Totally disregarding what mode of transportation that's supposed to be from, Fury, the informant, and Corporal Collagen find themselves face-to-face with another Hydra henchman, Dr. Arnim Zola, and try to squeeze out what little information he's willing to spill on the Death's Head virus. You are holding me illegally. What do you know about the Death's Head virus? Death's Head is the perfect weapon, you know. When was Hydra last in contact with you? How long would it take to reproduce the RNA sequence from Von Strucker's body? Reproduction of the virus would take me mere hours. When was Hydra last in contact with you? Oh, that would be telling, wouldn't it, Colonel? Are you ready to scan him, Kate? Getting nowhere fast, the Telepa lady tries to do the Vulcan mind meld with him. One that unfortunately doesn't end too well for her as she is inundated by... Stock footage! What did you do to her? Kato, you want Get him out of here now! Don't worry, we'll get him out of here. I have never seen anything so evil. Were you able to pick up anything? No, not really. Someone's already been inside his head. They set a post-it not a trap for me. I just made contact. Damn it. Can he do what he claims? Yes. Yes, he can. All right, we need to get him out of here ASAP. Hydra's gonna make a run for Zola. All right, what can you tell me about Dr. Zola? First correction, not German, Swiss. Wasn't he also the head in the computer on uh, the Captain America movies? Uh, yeah, I yeah. believe so. Exactly. Don't get any magnets, dear him. You might wipe him out. <laughs> <laughs> now, in regards to Zola just as a character... Eddie, you're more knowledgeable about the character. Like, you, you literally did the Swiss. So, I think you're more versed in saying about the character than I would be. Eh, maybe imitating what the lines he says from Winter Soldier are. Go for it. That's most of it, you know, whatever. Go for I it. I have never been more alive. Are you doing Werner Herzog? Sort of. It's halfway there. <laughs> Just as Kate gets over her clairvoyant shock, the informant pulls Fury to the side for a second. What's this all about? Don't you find me attractive? Look, there's a lot going on right now. Why don't we just take a rain check on the heavy breathing here? <laughs> 20,000 volts, boy. 
Do I have your attention? <laughs> so much for late, great Colonel Nick Fury. You've been kissed with the kiss of death. So aside from being a manic pixie dream girl's worst nightmare who just poisoned Fury, what else do we know about Viper? Her hair's green, isn't it? Bad news. I wouldn't doubt it. Everything else about her is. Whoa, I remember her here she comes. Cinematically, I mostly remember her, though, from uh, The Wolverine. The one where Logan is in Japan. You know... As we're talking about these characters, they're all characters that I would imagine appeared in the uh, Jim Steranko run of yep. Nick Fury. I gotta, like, they're gorgeous to look at. Stories aren't that good. They don't, they're not really that memorable. The visuals, on the other hand, are completely memorable. Just pop art kind of, you know, experimental stuff. Literally, my favorite gimmick in all of, all of comic history was... Well, true believers, we got this really cool two-page splash, and then it's continued on the next two pages, but you know what you should do to really enjoy it? You should buy four copies. So two to put away for yourself, and two to make it look bigger as you're reading it. Not at all helping me get a new boat. So now, Fury has been poisoned with lip liner on loan from Poison Ivy. What's a vigilante to do? There's one possibility, but it's such a long shot. I built my reputation on long shots. Are you sure this woman kissed you? Yeah, she kissed me. Poison was passed from her lips, then she has to be immune to it. The toxin must have been engineered from her specific genetic template. What's that mean? If we could get a sample of her blood, we might, might be able to synthesize an anti-serum. Consider it done. No way, Nicholas. I'm confining you to the infirmary. Physical exertion will only accelerate the effects of games. I did not intend to spend the last few hours of my life on this planet in the helicarrier sickbay. I'll get that vampire's blood if I have to suck it from her neck. Oh, come on. A poisoning shouldn't stop Nick Fury. I mean, he's had to have been through worse than a kiss of death. He's been through a lot of bad stuff. He's seen some messed up things. War. He was in World... Yeah, I was going to say, he's been eye. through World... I love that in the comics... They have their reason of why he lost the eye, and in the uh, MCU, he lost his eye because a cat scratched him in the eye. And I love that there were so many people on the internet saying, hey, you guys, that would be really funny if he did that. Oh, man, the cat scratches him in the eye. And then it happens, they're like, why did you do that? That's stupid. I'm like, make, make up your minds, you basement dwellers. Nevertheless, there's now a new mission objective in addition to that whole pesky save the world from a mutant virus thing. But not before a little more character development between Fury and Corporal College. I'm sorry about what happened between us, Nick. Don't you think it's a little early to be handing out the olive branch? Damn it, Nick. Don't you see I'm trying to call a truce here? Val, whatever we have between us is ancient history. I put it behind me. You should too. Why don't I believe you? Because you know me. Nick, what do you want me to say? That it happened too fast between us? That Clay got in the way? I got scared. I walked. Yeah, into someone else's bed. Well, I learned that move from you. All right, listen, as much as I'd like to sit here and lick old wounds, we got a job to do, okay? 
But enough about character depth, it's now time for Lady Hydra to reveal her master plan. I'm addressing S.H.I.E.L.D. Director Czech Pinter. Listen carefully. Death's head virus has been set to explode somewhere in Manhattan. You have until 6 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time tomorrow to assemble 100 billion dollars. You'll be told where and when to deliver it. Any attempt to evacuate Manhattan will result in the immediate release of the virus. Be in no doubt as to the seriousness of your situation. We will demonstrate the effectiveness of our virus within hours. Rest assured, against a force such as ours, there is no protection. Against Hydra, there is no shield. With time being a factor, Nick and the shields are now on their way. They run into the real informant, where they find out that one of the side effects of the Death's Head virus is... It makes you look really, really old. A fate that I'm sure the real David Hasselhoff would cringe at on a daily basis. The next part of the movie shows S.H.I.E.L.D. meeting with the President of the United States, who, even though this movie was made in the late 90s when Bill Clinton was in charge, seems to bear a resemblance to George Bush Sr. Mr. President, Gabe Jones, Deputy Director, I'd like to clarify something, sir, before we proceed any farther. It is crucial that the public does not get any word of this. You'll have to avoid any media leaks. Understood. Now, having said that, what do you people intend to do about this? Sir, we're concentrating all of our efforts on finding Viper's base of operations. Good. Let's find it and then bomb it. The only thing these terrorists respond to is force. And while I'm certain this doesn't set up Pincher as a secondary bad guy, or at the very least, the guy who tells people that they're loose cannons, Fury puts his possible doom in perspective. You all right, Colonel? Between you and me and that ESP chip in your head, I'm beginning to feel the effects of Viper's cocktail. Still cares about you, sir. You don't have to be an ESP agent to see that. Yeah, well, I got eight million other lives to worry about right now. Running a little low on Hallmark moments. Did Nick Fury just do a product placement for Hallmark cards? That seems kind of forced. Yes, but not as forced as my saying... Listen to Telehell wherever you stream podcasts or at telehell.lipson.com. Meanwhile, just as I thought, Pincher gets to put on his loose cannon routine for Fury. I won't have you jeopardizing this mission for some personal vendetta. Nicholas, I don't know how to say this, but maybe he is right. Yours is not the only life at stake here. Are you really up to leading a field operation? Of course not, Gabe. But who the hell else is going to do it? The LMD? And since he just brought it up, let's find out a little bit more about Marvel's use of LMDs, a.k.a. Life Model Decoys. And here I thought it was lemon meringue dessert. That's because you're listening to me or started something. You are an influencer. You were never Eddie, the influencer Wilson. I, I think in comics I remember LMDs for not only with involving Nick Fury, but I think the first and foremost, and maybe because of the movies more recently influencing my brain, Iron Man... And perhaps even Fantastic Four. Uh, the life model decoys are such a great concept in the comics, too, because of the fact you can literally kill off a character, get that sympathy pop out of the audience. It's like, oh, my goodness gracious, the character's de- Wait a minute. I love that. It's I think even in, in 1980s uh, Incredible Hulk comic books, there were LMDs. 
Or I'm thinking of those faceless, pink, bouncy uh, rubber men that that he and, and Doc Eddie, are you taking hallucinogens now? No. Maybe I should, though. <laughs> <laughs> I just, again, it's just such a cool concept that I feel we still have not gotten the best out of it yet in a lot of ways. Like, I feel like there's going to be a writer, like maybe Donny Cates or somebody throws that, you know, concept out there and does something cool with it. So it's untapped or uh, I feel like, yeah. Perhaps. Yeah, well, that wouldn't be a bad idea to do. Because would keep an audience guessing as to if this was the real deal or not. But the idea of, you know, a uh, LMD, you can do so many different storylines with that, too. You can literally, like, do... You could have done, like, the whole clone saga of Spider-Man, where there's the two different Spider-Men. Now there's... I'm seeing double here. There's four of them. You know, it's... You see the uh, the Spider-Man that... He could have been an LMD that entire time, but it was a clone. And then the whole Ben Riley saga oh, could have been a, you oh, know... Man. Could you imagine how many crossovers they could have gotten out of that one? Let's just start with a what if LMDs thing, something or other, and we'll I have an old LMD series. We'll have an LMD verse. Yeah. Moving on, we get more threats from Pincher that Fury is a loose cannon who will ruin everything. You're in no condition to lead a field operation. I'm the best man for the job, and you know it, Pincher. You try it, and I'll have you thrown in the brig. As we then join Corporal Collagen somewhere in the streets of New York, trying to track down where the virus may be deployed. What is it? What's happening? decoy. The real virus truck's still out there somewhere. Way to go, movie. You've just put in your most pointless scene so far, making you a contender for the coveted Pointless Trophy. I even brought a jingle for it. Coveted Pointless Trophy! (laughs) So, while Marvel's Wild Geese goes on a wild goose chase, Fury and his team have a run-in with some heat-seeking missiles. Fill out! Grab his gear! Grab his gear! We lost all contact with them, Gabe. Microband and UHF. They were blown out of the sky. We then go through the whole dramatic licensing production of people believing that Fury may have gotten blown up real good. But of course, there's still about 40 minutes left to go in the movie, making that scene another candidate for the film's most pointless so far. Meanwhile, Corporal Collagen is still trying to locate the virus in the city. Checked out all possibilities, but all negative. We're running out of time here. Copy. Scanning a wider area now. Stand by. Okay, Val, we got one last possible on the screen now, but it's moving away from Manhattan. Give us the coordinates, Tim. We gotta do something. All right, 6A and 14C. Meanwhile, in Alaska, Fury and his crew emerge from the wreckage, ready to, and I quote, Let's go kick some hydro butt. Because even though this is a show airing on the Fox network, you probably couldn't say ass in prime time back then. Gratuitously. Meanwhile, back in the city, Corporal Collagen is narrowing things down, but Pincher is getting impatient. Oh, this is stupid. They're going around in circles. Well, take these people out. Sir, I happen to know that area very well and the prevailing winds at this time of year. That bomb goes off, the death head virus will cover Jersey, Pennsylvania, and most of Ohio in 10 hours. And nothing of value was lost. Meanwhile, in Alaska, Oh, let's face it, it's just a fight scene that goes on long enough for you to pat out the movie. And while I would normally deem it to be even more pointless than some other scenes, I consider this to be a bathroom break. And since I haven't used a conventional toilet since I was sent to hell, this is gonna be a treat. (laughs) You two take over, I'll be right back. Can he do that? 
Who cares? Let's just plug our Patreon before he comes back. Yes, go to patreon.com slash The Marvelous. And for as little as $3 a month to as much as... <laughs> man, I haven't done that in a while. But it's, it's been like an eternity. Like the hell... over. <laughs> the streak is over. Anyway, for as much as whatever your little hearts desire, you can help support the show. $3 gets you early access to episodes, as well as commercial-free episodes... $5 gets you two bonus shows where you're able to listen to us talk about the Fantastic Four in a series called Fantastic Voyage, where we cover all 102 issues, plus annuals, plus crossovers, plus tie-ins, plus whatever our little hearts desire as well. Of Stanley and Jack Kirby's legendary, iconic, and even fantastic run of the Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comic magazine. Then we got a series over there called, you haven't read that, a bi-month, or sorry, Eddie normally reads the title, so ladies and gentlemen, we're just going to go right back to it. A series called... You haven't read that? Yes, you haven't read that, where Eddie reads series he's never read before as a comic book reader until that very recording. And on various episodes, we cover topics like Watchmen, The Walking Dead, The Dark Knight Returns, Crisis on Infinite Earths, Marvel Zombies, Marvel Zombies, among many, many others. And... We got some uh, upcoming ones down the pipeline for you. Yes, you. Yes, I'm talking to you, pointing at you right now. I'm pointing at you right now. You, you. But $8 gets you the potential to guest host an episode or pick a topic of your choosing. Pick a topping on a pie or pizza pie. Bonjourno. Uh, that's a more Eel, yes. Oh, but that's, that's what Dean Martin said at the aquarium. Yes, he did. But... How many times do you think you went to an aquarium? How many butts you want me? Anyway, patreon.com slash The Marvelists. And God willing, help us. Just help us. Help us, please, please. For the love of help Thank us. Thank you in advance. Yeah, I too. Now that we got that out of the way, let's get back to the subject. Fury and his crew get to where they believe they will find Viper, some kind of storage shed that looks like a sewer from the inside. There, Fury and the team come across your typical laser security system, which they manage to bypass in probably the stupidest ex machina device in this or any other lifetime, as one of the team members pulls out a can of spray that actually cuts a hole through the laser field, and they wind up making it onto the other side. Okay, even for comic-related media, that's a pretty lazy way to solve a problem. It's like Indiana Jones shooting a sword fighter, only without the 103 fever. It gets dumber. After spraying the lasers away, Fury's team then comes across another hallway where a single guard is keeping tabs. This leads to Agent Pierce monologuing to himself on just how he plans to take out the lone guard. Allow me. Blow to the brachial plexi should suffice. I was top of my class in advanced silent killing. I can do this in my sleep. Damn it. Which, since he's a third tier shield member, he does not. Bloody hell. I stand corrected. That scene was like Indiana Jones shooting the sword fighter. It gets dumber still. As the team reaches the end of the hall, they realize just how easy it was to go through these seemingly minor obstacles, or to use another durable piece of geek culture. It's a trap! Fury's team gets captured just in time for the start of our final act. <sighs> I will never take porcelain and indoor plumbing for granted ever again. So, 
What'd I miss? Fury's team gets captured, and there's still 30 minutes of this crap to go. Perfect. So now, if you've ever seen an action movie or a James Bond movie in your lifetime, this is the part where the heroes are taken to the bad guy's lair, and a little bit more of the villain's master plan is revealed. The once great global powers are scurrying about like feeble old men, praying for a deliverance that will not come. I danced on your poisonous father's grave. I'll dance on your grave too, sweetness. Kill him! No! Fury's already dead. And there will be plenty of time for fun and games later. You can have the woman. And I'll have that pretty one there. Search them thoroughly. I want you to give this scumbag a cavity search. I'm talking Roto-Rooter. Don't stop till you reach the back of his teeth. The eye patch. You really are suspicious, aren't you? You know, it's not a very attractive trait. No wonder people don't like you. An electronic lockpick. Oh, there it is. I thought I left it in my other patch. You bore me, Fury. Agreed. Meanwhile, it's been a while since we saw what Corporal Collagen is up to, and... Well, the good news is there's only one exit. And the bad news? If, as I suspect, the virus is loaded into a short-range missile in the back of this truck... We couldn't miss Manhattan if they tried. Meanwhile... I'm saying meanwhile so much that I think I should be replacing Stephen Colbert. But also, Fury and his team are trapped in a meat locker. And while I strongly resist the urge to make an R. Kelly joke, Fury tries to find his way out in the blink of an eye. Almost literally in this case. You know the saying? If by an eye offend thee, pluck it out. This one's been annoying me lately. Relax. It's only plastic with a little Cracker Jack surprise inside. Why, I had no idea Fury had such an explosive trick up his sleeve. Talk about a deus ex machina. Which they needed to do because they couldn't sit around idly by with the world in danger. You might even say that Fury had an ideal plan to escape all along. And of course, the action is taking place on the islands of Alaska. This is your show. I do the bad jokes around here and you've used them all up. Anyway, Fury and his team escape, and the British agent gets a shot at redemption. Yes! Well, so much for his story arc. Let's check back in with Corporal Collagen. We can't wait any longer. We've had no words from Beta Team. We have to go. I'm commencing jamming of the communication systems in 90 seconds. Val, you reading me? Val, come in, please. I'm reading you. Through a lengthy process of watching one of the Hydra henchmen throw a ball against a wall over and over, Shield's B Squad sneaks in, throws a grenade which happens to look like the ball that the henchman is throwing, shit hits the fan, and then Corporal Collagen takes out Viper's brother with a one-liner that even David Caruso would shake his head in shame over. Head nurse to surgeon. Operation over. Patient sedated. Meanwhile, Fury's team continues their escape. 
All the while, Fury is getting sicker. And Leon's getting larger! And just as all seems lost, Corporal Collagen tries to figure out how to disarm the missiles carrying the virus through the best of 90s techno battle. Trigger signal comes in by modem C. His sister calls in the five-digit number sequence by satellite phone, completely independent. So what are the digits? The digits are in code. The assumption is only Viper knows what the numbers are. So let's pull the plug. No modem, no signal, No, right? don't! Maybe rigged. A modem? A dial-up modem. Even for 1998, that's a pretty weak way to carry out a bomb. True, but you gotta remember that this was state-of-the-art back then. Then again, so were internet videos with the frame rate of exactly four pixels. Yeah, I've got nothing. I'm really more into comic trivia. Speaking of which, Spider-Gwen could have used that same web trampoline to save Parallel Universe Peter Parker from- So the race is on to stop Hydra from firing rockets into the opening title card from Barney Miller. Fury eventually gets into Viper's lair in spite of him looking like he was near death in the previous scene, and looking rather spry and healthy in this one. Gee, I wonder how he was able to make such a speedy recovery. It's the LMD. It's the LMD. The Avenger is mine. It's the LMD. It's the LMD. It's the LMD. It's the LMD. How much ammunition have we got left? Just a couple of rounds. It's the LMD. I can't hear you, Gunfury. It's the LMD. It's the LMD. It's the LMD. It's the LMD. It's the lemon meringue duck. Jesus, Timmy fucking Christ, it's the LMD. I always heard living well's the best revenge. Well, what do you fucking know? To the surprise of no one, it's the LMD. By this point, we get to the film's climax. But before we do, a brief round of applause for the best and yet somehow the stupidest line in the entire movie. You know he's even uglier than I remember. Your frozen pop sickle. Get it, Andrea? Pop sickle? You know that's the problem with the third right. No sense of humor. Bravo! 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 Bravo. Bravo. Congratulations! That scene wins. Trophy. <laughs> now then, on to how to dismantle a bomb without the use of U2 songs. Fortunately, Shield also has a Deus Ex Spockina thanks to Kate. Kate, the numbers. Uh. Now you listen to me. Now you dig deep. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it! 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 Nine! Nine! No six! 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 And sure enough, Hell's phone number saves the day. A number that we hope to feature more regularly on Telehell. Available wherever you stream podcasts and also somehow streaming on the Sega Genesis. 
But with 10 minutes left, did you really think it was gonna be this easy? Hell, Fury's still sick, and there's still a few years to go until Sam Jackson gets to play him. How do we get to the status quo? He's right to worry, Fury. You got lucky with the numbers game, but your luck's about to run out. In 10 seconds, they'll be coming through the door with 100 men. You haven't got a chance. <laughs> Yes, really. The Flying Shield base comes in right on time to sweep everything under the rug. And we also find out that the cure for Fury's ailment is nothing more than drinking the blood of your enemies. Or in this case, a syringe of vipers. Then as soon as we have the data together... I will see you in hell for this. We'll do lunch. Well, I'm not sure about lunch, but while you're there, listen to Telehell wherever you stream your podcasts, or check us out on our social media feeds, Twitter and Facebook at Telehell Podcast. But even that ending is too easy, as we have one final twist in the midst. What the hell's going on? Viper uses a fake bomb to escape with her pop sickle, threatening that she and Fury will meet again, as bad guys often do in comic books. She's halfway to China by now. <laughs> That's funny. For a terrorist organization with ties to the Axis, I would have thought she'd escape to Italy or Japan. Not Germany, though, because that'd be too obvious, and an army of Hasselhoff's fans would probably kick her ass if she ever showed up there. Germans love David Hasselhoff. The film concludes with a series of teases that imply that there will be a next adventure, including telling off the douchebag boss. What are the charges? For starters, insubordination, incitement to mutiny, unauthorized use of a military vehicle. You forgot one. Attempted grievous bodily harm. <laughs> How was that for diminished motor coordination? Tying up loose ends with Commander Collagen. After all she's been through, I think upgrading her rank is fair. You know, Val, there's something I wanted to get straight between us. I'm not stopping you. What I'm trying to say is that maybe I lost more than my job when I parted ways with S.H.I.E.L.D. And maybe it took a dose of dying for me to realize it. That sounds an awful lot like an apology to me. Well, I wouldn't go that far. Well, maybe I enjoy watching you squirm. The promise that Fury will return to S.H.I.E.L.D. full-time. Well, you're not going to smoke it? Yeah, I've been thinking about quitting lately. An army of sociopaths out there would love to see me cash in my chips. Why should I help them all? <laughs> and, of course, the threat that Hydra will return, especially since they seem to have perfected technology from the Necronomicon Ex Mortis. I thought I'd lost you, Father. I have walked through the fires of hell. And while in hell, I'm sure he listened to several episodes of Telehell, available wherever you strip. For the love of all things Excelsior, you've plugged the show enough. Okay. Okay. We're square. But first, tell me what you thought of the movie. Don't you usually do your nine circles of hell to recap it? That's on my show. You guys go first. I think I gotta swallow a couple ice cubes for my throat to be fine. Yeah, so... Uh, Hachi Machi. What a movie. I was just like, where are they gonna decide to end this? 
with Viper saying the work has just begun. It really, it was like a movie like, ah, let's just end here. Although, it's really a telling sign where we like Doctor Strange from 1978 more than this. Ooh. Like, that's saying something. With, uh, with what's his name? The Hoot, the Hooten. Peter Hooten. Yeah, shouldn't the technology have come a little further from this, from Doctor oh my Strange God. From th- to this? When I'm seeing I mean, the, like, the level of green screen in this movie, and it's, like, on par with, like... A 12-year-old with a YouTube account that somehow has more followers than I ever will in my life doing stupid things on their YouTube channel has better technology and better production values than this thing. It's insane. Uh, towards the end, though, in trying to, what, figure out a, uh, a code? And you can do this, uh, Kate, Viper, interchanging 37906. <gasps> And there was Eight, a, how do we appreciate? And a nine in there, and I'm thinking... It's a niner. Nine! Like, no. It was a six, or it was a last digit supposed to be a six or a nine. Well, I want to go back over to you mentioning about the, the technology in this movie, mm-hmm. too. The LMDs are the most frightening-looking things <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. And just, like, that rubbery, glowing skin, like, shiny. It's like... They... they, they maybe they polished the, that with spit. But, like, you just oh. look at it, and it's just like, what am I looking at? Like... Yeah, that looks like David Hasselhoff after a five-day bender. Car-, car wax. That was what it was. Yeah, Miyagi-san, no. Exactly. Um, yeah, but wax on, no wax off. It, it's very much, uh, yes, it's a product of the time, but I'm sorry if you really want it to be like, he's a robot, but it's actually supposed to look like him. Just do a, just do a shot of actual uh, David Hasselhoff and then pan down to a robot hand. It's like, who cares? You know, it's like, I don't get it. It's just I, I, I made a couple of analogies that that when there was an initial meeting via computer with screens to Andrea, I said, "Oh, this is a precursor to the Zoom meeting." There we go. <laughs> and I found a music reference because Nick is running a fever of 103, and that's foreigner, hot blooded. But he says I'm normal. I wish I was right now because I'd be anywhere but here. Thank you very much. <sighs> oh, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. Had to find some other things in it than you know. And I wasn't necessarily multitasking through this, but maybe should have. I was on a treadmill watching this. <laughs> I tripped a couple times. That was the uh, 4D experience. Yeah. Because Goyer and all of them tripped on making this movie. So what Good we did, they swing and a miss, I guess, on this, but they, oh, they try, we, and Lord knows we, we try with them. I'm just shocked that you're not positive about this. Like, I'm in genuine disbelief. Like, it took David Hasselhoff... <laughs> It took David Hasselhoff. No, it to took get, everything else up to now. David just sealed the deal. I I'm like okay. How does I want to know what, how this put, would compare? We have to put this into a number now, right? Out of so many, probably with with your system, negative five. Oh, fuck. Like, no, no. In, in all honesty, I give this like maybe a, and I'm being generous when I say this. I give it a one out of five. Because I'm going to go with the Eddie criteria. Well, the characters, for the most part, look like them, so good enough. <laughs> so there's that. I'm just like, uh, damn. Uh, no. no. Hasselhoff, that's and about I, it. No, looked like Dum Dum? No, I'm just saying so. him. Hasselhoff, yeah, when your yeah. star character looks like the character that it's supposed to per- be portrayed as, yes. But otherwise, okay. oh, I'm in agreement, 100%. I mean, the guys in the shield, you know, suits... They look like them because they're, you know, white guys wearing suits. So it's like, whoop-de-doo. In regards to this, yeah, it's, it is unbearable. And it makes, you watch it 
with the sense of this. Without this, we would not have gotten the quality control of the other movies because it's like, yeah. let's not make that. Yeah, let's what, make, you know, something good. Not to do. Yeah, it's, it's right. very much a cautionary tale. And it's funny because Marvel was trying to do a lot of made-for-TV movies around this time as well, all the way up to 2005, I want to say, with Man-Thing. Because you have Generation X in 1995, which, oh boy, <laughs> that's, that is a... Oh boy. Uh. I honestly thought, too, with respect to say, referencing and talking about the Death's Head virus... That I was thinking the character the entire time. The character that I have to read as well. But that might be another future. You haven't read that. Uh, probably not. Okay. <laughs> but gotcha. You've been kissed by a kiss of death. Okay, that's kind of redundant, redundant. All I can think of is that one line in the uh, Mortal Kombat movie, You shall die! And it's like, what the... <laughs> uh, it's, it's very... Like, I love cheesy movies. I love bad movies. I'm a, I'm a diehard Mystery Science Theater fan. I love canon pictures of the great Golan and Globus. I love all of that kind of stuff. But it's like this, it's like... you And you said it was on Fox. And it's like... This is a Fox made-for-TV movie? This looks like, hey, it's 3 o'clock, time to put this on WPIX, Channel 11. We're going to have this on, like, in between uh, an episode of made-for-syndicated TV, Hercules, and, you know... Let us rock and let us roll. What cornball lines this movie (laughs) has? (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much all I got. Orville Redenbacher, like, produced this movie. I'm somewhere between two and a half and two and three quarters out of five. Ladies and gentlemen, Eddie did not do a three. Yeah, I did think of that initially, but... Oh, of course you did. real. Well, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but... I actually kind of liked it. What? I know, I'm just as surprised as you two, but since I'm technically not in hell right now, I kind of wanted this to be an opportunity to watch a guilty pleasure for a change. Even though we're not supposed to review them down there, and let's face it, this thing was a guilty pleasure in spades. Sure, it had all the earmarkings of a TV pilot that goes nowhere, so it does belong in limbo. And this is an action movie based on an action comic, so violence is kind of a prerequisite. But really, on its own merits, it was fine. Very stupid in some places, and certainly pointless in others, but as a standalone feature, I'm kinda glad it was what it was. Hell, even David Hasselhoff realized how futile the effort would be, so he hammed it up more than a German potato salad. And surprisingly, it was his performance in the movie that critics praised the most. The rest of the criticism, though, went to how poor the execution of the dialogue was, how cheap everything looked even by TV movie standards, and even how generic of a movie it turned out to be. On the other hand, you do have to realize that this was Marvel about 10 years before they turned into the monolith that they would eventually start to become. They had no clear trajectory in mind back then, except for the comics. And maybe the only thing keeping them afloat back then was the Spider-Man and X-Men animated series. So hats off to them for trying to expand their cinematic foothold this early in the game. But it wouldn't be until Iron Man when they start to get things right. Also, if you're curious as to what happened to the movie's writer, David Goyer, this may have been a speed bump a little early in his career, but he more than made up for it by penning movies like the Blade Trilogy, the Dark Knight Trilogy, and several other properties that make up the DC Universe. Okay, that's it. 
Selling one of my comics is one thing, but I will be damned if we're gonna discuss the competition around here. Get out! The review is done. I was about to leave anyway. Okay then, get out quicker! Eddie, he's still a representative of hell. I wouldn't do anything stupid. I don't care. He's overstayed his welcome. Don't you want your Fantastic Four number one back? <laughs> you said you sold it for that drilling car you used to climb up here. One sec. One sec. Oh, I miss drinking water. It does cost as much as your comic book, but that's only if I buy the drill outright. I actually rented it for the trip using the comic book as collateral. It's safe and sound at the rental office. Hell has a car rental place? Of course. Hertz. Ever since O.J. Simpson was their pitch man years ago, it just seemed like a natural fit in terms of exclusivity and corporate synergy. And Avis is still trying harder. So, you're saying once you return the drill, I'll get my comic back? Don't worry. I filled out an insurance form. Once I bring it back, you'll get what's yours back without me ever being in the room with you. You mean like a satanic slash dark magic thing? Uh, sure. Why not? Uh, when you see a red plume of smoke materializing the book, that's how you'll know the transaction's complete. Okay then. What about the hole you made in the floor? That should all be a part of the same insurance form. Anyway, I'm glad I was able to lend a hand today. And if you ever need me again, you got my card. Yeah, I had to put your card in the freezer. That sucker was hot to the touch. Yeah, it comes with the territory. Anyway, stand by for the refund and... See you later, nerds! Well, Eddie, after that marvelous mess I got us in, I think it's going to wrap this episode up for today. Tightly. Tourniquet. Like your hands around my neck eventually? Mm, I'm thinking. For The Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior! Peter, can you do me one favor next time? What's that? If you want somebody to help us take down bad superhero media, there are better alternatives than calling the Underworld. I didn't know who else to call, and besides... At least he keeps his promises. Excelsior! Excelsior!